Praise God. Uh, I would just like to bring a few thoughts from our reading uh, tonight. And um, a question arises straight away, really, when we think about this. And it is this. Who to God is most important? Well, we know the answer to that. Everyone. But you see, here we know this uh, event, the parable Jesus gave, is termed the prodigal son, or the son that went away and came back. But to me, it's always this. It's the father's love for his son. Actually, for both sons. But we're thinking of the son that went away. Praise God, but came back. So at the beginning of this chapter, very interesting thing. See, Jesus gives three examples. One, of uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, finally, the lost son. That which was lost and then found. Why these three examples did Jesus give? Well, the reason for this, of course, begins in verse 1 and verse 2 of the chapter. Because it says there that the Pharisees and the scribes they looked down upon tax collectors. They termed sinners. Those that weren't as good, they thought, as them. And so Jesus had to make a very important point. That everyone is important to God. Every single person. It doesn't matter what they like or whatever situation. Everyone is special and important to God. And of course, you see, they looked down upon these poor people and thought they were better. The Pharisees were self-appointed and so-called righteous. They thought they were better than anyone else. So poor tax collectors that worked for the Romans were the lowest of the low and termed sinners. So they wouldn't have anything to do. But one thing about this, it says this, they drew near to Jesus. Why? Because he cared for them when no one else did. No one else but he did. And they knew that, so they were there. So Jesus began to talk about how important everyone is to God. Now, they saw Jesus as a man. He was a teacher. Anything else? Nothing more. Sadly, that was how it went. Tax collectors were sinners, as I said, drew near to here. It's lovely when we draw near to here. Because when we're near, we can listen and take in what he has to say. It's when we're far as the problem. So we are near to him. Always near to God. Always close to the Lord. And this shows God's love and concern for sinners. This is what he was saying to these so-called self-righteous people. These are important. You think you are, they are. We all are. And that's the point <clears throat> that Jesus said. So first of all then, let's look at a wayward son. That's the youngest son. It tells us in verse 11, the pull of the world for him was great. Whether he'd had enough or he was looking out and thinking, well, 
What's the future and the form of an elder brother? We don't know, but whatever it was, there was a pull away from where he was. Towards the world, towards what was out there. What's out there? You see, and it's always a mistake and often a big problem. We want to know something that really we don't need to know in that sense. But he wanted a way. And so he said to his dad, give me what's mine. In other words, my part of the inheritance. Now normally we think, and in Jewish terms, the inheritance came when the father died. And the sons that were left, they had it. the law said that the youngest son got a third. The eldest son would get two thirds. So he did have something, but how much? Well, he wanted to take what he had. And that's exactly what he did. The request then shows that his rebellious nature, and that's what it was, he rebelled against his father because he said, give me. And you know what? Add to this my, me. Give me my inheritance. Well, it was his, but his father wasn't dead. Now, there was provision made in the law that a father could divide his inheritance with his sons even while alive. It was his prerogative to do so. So what else could the father do? He could see his son was wayward and yet he had to go with what the son required. So that's exactly what he did. He gave him that part of the inheritance. And then when he had received his, his inheritance... He went away. So in verse 13, if we look through, add to his waywardness something else. When he got away from the father, when he got away from what he knew, it was wasteful living. That's what happened. And words that we understand, he blew the lot. That's what he did. Everything he had, he blew it. Enjoyed himself to the uttermost, and it was great. He was away from the father. He was doing what he thought was great for him, away from the father and away from everything he knew. So there he was, having a great time. But notice, in a far country, to his mind, he was well away from the farm. You see, out of sight, out of mind. I'm doing what I want to do where the Father's not there. So beware, be careful. Don't do what the Father doesn't want us to do. Right? Remember that. No matter where we are, it's the Father's will that's important. And so there it is, you see. Blew the lot. And of course, what happened? Adversity arose. There was a famine. Didn't expect that. Who did? But it happened. Well, what was he going to do then? There was a famine and it tells us he was in need. And because he was in need and had nothing, he joined himself to a Gentile farmer. Why do I see a Gentile farmer in the far country? Well, listen, Jesus was talking to Jews. Jesus was talking to certain people that even thought Gentiles were less than them. So it comes back to the same principle. All of us are important to God, irrespective. But here, this son who was a Jew, give 
himself over to the Gentiles. And of course you see, what job did he get? To a farmer who raises pigs. Now, to a Jew, he's unclean. So you see, it gets worse for the son. But for the audience, it gets interesting. Because they've got to now think, where's Jesus coming from and where is he going to? What is he actually saying about this situation? You see, it couldn't get worse. He's feeding pigs and a poor man in his poverty and his state would have fed himself with the pods or the husks or the food that even the pigs eat. So you see, Jesus is actually saying he's desperate. He's in a desperate situation and he needs help. So having got this into the minds of those who are listening, he's then got to bring out some very important truths. <clears throat> From a son of importance in a father's home, now almost a virtual slave, that was his status, reduced to eating pig's food. So that's the picture that these people had that Jesus was presenting. He was down and out. That's how we would term it, with nothing. So in that situation, the world, and I wrote this, it's so true. To use again another colloquialism. From the world, you'll get a kick in the teeth because they don't understand scriptural principle things. They need that understanding that we once didn't know, but now know. Now, why, why am I saying that? Because you see, this man gave them all he had. Although he enjoyed it, he gave them all he had. And they, in return, give him nothing. And that's what you get from the world. If you love the Lord and you're a believer and you go, you will get nothing. Well, you see why? We were one from the world when we know the Lord. Don't go back to it. We don't go back to once we where we once were, because the precious blood of our Saviour, that His death for us, His sacrifice for us, saves us, keeps us. That's how important it is. Now in spiritual understanding we know these, this, that the verses speak of the father as God and the younger son as a believer, although backsliding and going back into the world. Also remember here the tax collectors, also remember those who were so-called sinners and in a sense that's us all need to be saved. You see, this is what Jesus was saying. Everyone needs to be saved. Therefore, there is always, thank God, for opportunity for all to come to God. There's always opportunity given. We've got to take it. No one is ever out of reach of God. But can it be? His spirit works in hearts and lives, in minds, and thank God for that. Because when we pray for those we love and those we know who are in difficult, desperate, and maybe far-off situations, the Spirit of God is ministering to them in that way that only He can. And if we trust Him, He will do it, because we cannot. Thank God we couldn't. 
but he can. So that's the encouragement that we get. Now, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. They were his exact words. Now here in verse 17 is a pivotal point. What do I mean by that? Well, it's this, a point of the mind, simply because the power of memory comes into play. Remembering a realization in the midst of his poverty-stricken life that there was something more. Why? What did he say? Look at his words. How many hired servants? You see, his mind, he began to think the power of remembrance. How many hired servants? And he was a son. How many hired servants are better off than I am? And look at me. I'm starving. He has a thought. The father is present in the son's memory in the far country. You see, you cannot remember where you grew up. You cannot remember your family background. When you know the Lord, you don't forget. Because as the Father and the loving Father, he does everything for us, his sons and daughters, in the family of God. So you see the power of memory. And this has to bring in repentance. We know repentance is required. And what is repentance? Well, it's this. A complete turning around. Being truly sorry for the wrongs, the sins that we've committed. And a returning to a right way of living. In other words, it's this. A change of heart and also action. Because you see, the son could have stayed where he was. Nothing would have happened. But until he made the move and put, well, until the action came in, he could have stayed there, but he didn't. You see, sin is universal in all humanity. That's why the conscience dictates the symptoms and actions of known sins. We know when we've gone wrong. We know when it's not going right, because our conscience tells us this. How do we know this? Well, we know it's inherent through our first parents. They sinned. Everyone born into the world from them is born in sin. God's word tells us that, born in sin. How do we know? It's inherent. We're prone to go wrong. Here's an, an example, if you like. Was there ever a child that said yes before they said no? I don't think so. It's, it's, it's the inherent sin that the natural thing is no, no. That's why we have teaching. That's why as parents we're responsible to bring them to an understanding of saying yes and also saying yes to God because the natural bent of sinners is to be rebellious against God. So there needs to be a complete change. And so this needs to be for everyone a complete change. Now, add to repentance is choice. Because like I say, he had a choice. He could either stay and starve or go and live. As simple as that. He had to make a choice and then act upon that choice. 
and we know what he did. Because he said this, and this is the crux, this is the thing. He said, I will. It's the will, it's our will. It's the will of the individual that can put themselves before God. We've got to deal with the will, our will, and seek his will. If his will supersedes our will, we're in the purpose of God. We'll not easily wander off. We'll not easily go away because we're in his purpose, in the Father's purpose. So what he said was it had to come from him. It had to come from within. It couldn't come from anywhere else. So he simply said this. I will arise, he said. Verse 19 also adds this. Lessons learned. He'd learned something, although it was hard in the far country, he'd learned some valuable lessons that caused him to want to go back. So it's not all doom and gloom. If we remember things that matter, like he did, two things arise out of this. First, of course, is sincerity. How do we know that he was sincere? And what he meant? Well, simply this. He said in his mind, when I go back to the Father, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. See, he was beginning to realise this. Add the sincerity, humility. Because following, that has to be a humility. That has to be a humbling of oneself before we can ever expect anything from God. So humility is this. What did he say? Make me a hired servant. Willing to be a hired servant. But he wasn't. He was forever a son. He was always a son. It's just for a moment he forgot that he was a son. Just remember how important never it is. Always remember. Now, the second part is this. We've looked at a wayward son, but now we have to consider the Father's love. Verse 20. The Father's love. And this was what Jesus was wanting to get across to these people. Whatever situation they were in. And let's look at the Father's love. Well, it tells us this from verse 20. First of all, the Father. He saw him. It says he saw him afar off in the distance. Now, I feel that every day he was looking for his son. Why do I think that? Well, I'll tell you. Because if he hadn't been, that might have been the day when he didn't see him. So he made sure there was not a day that he would go out and look for his son because he expected something more that his son would come back and that's what he did so that's the first thing he saw him looking and you know he had compassion he had to it was the father's heart he had compassion upon his son he saw him coming back and naturally it reached out towards him it's my son He's coming back. That's the compassion. And then what did he do? He ran towards him. What does this speak of? Yes, he made the move, but he, was, he wanted to get there as quick as he could. He'd missed him. It was too long since he'd been away. You know, and this is so true. We've got to realise how close we need to be to God to realise how far we could and thank God never be away. 
We need to be as close as we can. So this is the father. He made the move and then what did he do? He fell on his neck. He embraced him. He cuddled him in. He took him. Took a hold of him. See? This is my son. He made sure he wasn't going to move. He made sure he was here. He wasn't going to go anywhere else. Because he embraced him. That's the emphasis, you see. And we who know family relationships understand what it means, the embrace of someone that loves us, or we love them, and what it means. It's something very personal, and something that means so much to the individual, certainly to him. And you see, he then kissed him. The affection, in its fullest degree, he kissed him, welcome back, he said. He, he made it known in every possible sense that he was pleased that his son had come back. Now, verse 21. The son had rehearsed in his mind what he was going to say. So he began to say it. I have sinned against God. He recognised that and against you, but he never had a chance to ask to be a higher servant. Why? Because the father was there for him and said, look to his servants, this is what you're going to do for him. Never given the chance to want to be a servant, because he never was. He was always a son. And that of the father was really important. So if we see here now is the father's generosity. For the father said to his servants, and the emphasis is on quickly, quickly bring him the very ones that he was willing to be were now his servants because they served him because he's a son. He's a son back into his father's house. And the generosity of the father. Let's look at it. Said to his servants, bring out the best robe, the best garment that there is, and clothe him with the garment. You know, I guess because of his poverty, because of his state, he could well have come in rags. He couldn't come anywhere else because he had nothing. He was reduced to that. So he came home in rags. But the father said, bring the robe. And he was clothed with that robe. And we understand and know the significance. This is salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ pays the price for our sins. Cancels sin. And we gives us new life. Our sin then was like filthy rags. It's exactly like that. But what happens now? In Christ, we are now clothed, it says, in the robes of righteousness, you see. Filthy rags gone, clothed with the righteousness in Christ. And that's again a picture of salvation. But it goes on, you see, a ring, a ring for his finger. What does that indicate? Well, it indicates a restored relationship. The ring, you see. It's restored, the relationship. And then after that, I guess his feet might have been bleeding and, you know, sandals for his feet. Every part, make sure it's covered. Make sure he gets everything that he needs. 
And our Father always does that. His generosity is beyond our understanding. Because he gives us more than we'll ever need. And he gives us it as we need it. And so that's the generosity of the Father. You see, it also says the fatted calf. Killing the fatted this poor calf was fed, force fed for a purpose. And there it was, fatted calf. Bring it, we're going to have a feast. Kill it, we're going to enjoy ourselves. It's there for a reason. And what important reason that was. Surely it was. For the last words, you see, rest with the Father himself. And what did he say? He said this. This is my son. He was lost, but is now found. And in the light of this parable, how and where do we stand in our relationship with God? So very quickly and for a few moments, because we looked at two sons, I'd like you to go through the elder brother and just bring out one or two quick thoughts for our consideration. You see, there was more than the elder brother disgruntled that day because the fatted calf wasn't too happy either. <laughs> but you see, this is, this is the point. The elder brother, with him, also with some so-called believers, Christians, sadly, see the attitude not to have against fellow Christians or anyone else for that matter. See, to the Pharisees, again, you see, he's saying, you know, everybody is important to God. Everybody is. Notice what the son said, the elder son. He wouldn't go in, but he said this. You didn't give me. No, he didn't. Maybe he didn't ask. Or he took it for granted. But you see, this is what he said. He's looking at the light of the younger brother and what happened. He's not looking at himself and the position that he has in the father's house. He doesn't see his own position. All he can see is the state of, of a brother that's come back. And, and this is where we've got to be very mindful of what we think and what we consider where other people are. It actually hits home to those in the church as much as anyone else, especially those in the world and those that come back. Because you see, look at what he said. He said this, this son of yours, he disowned his brother. He didn't say my brother has come back. He said your son, but they were both sons. That's the important thing. He didn't see that. You know, he didn't see it at all. He was so full of himself. Now he was writing the things that he said and that I've done all this. It's, it is. He came in from the field. He was working. He was doing the job that the younger son didn't do. So he was right in what he said. The problem, the problem was he was wrong in his attitude because he had a loveless attitude towards his brother. And this to the father was of great concern. And this to the father mattered most. Because you see, when he wouldn't go in, notice the father went out. Now if we went back to verse 20, the father ran out towards the younger son. But he went out because this son was near. He wasn't far. He was near. He went out. The same thing. In other words, what this tells us is the two sons were both equal to the father. 
They were, they were both equal. And they both needed to know a father's love in its greatest extent. And so you see, <coughs> the search of the father extends to both sons. To both sons. Because he went out to them both. The elder son then, and in conclusion, here portrays the loveless attitude, sadly, of the Pharisees in that teaching of self-righteousness and salvation by achievement. That's what they thought. Jesus had to deal with that because that wasn't true. And the tax collectors, even although in their sincerity they drew near to him, had to realise their need of him. So you see, salvation, as we know, is the free, undeserved gift of God. Accomplished through our Lord Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross and resurrection life that we have. Verse 32. The parable ends with the elder brother still outside. Have we thought of that? It ends with the elder brother still outside. Why? Well, verse 31 is a key. Because you see, the father says, Son, remember you my son. You I have always with me you hear realize it you hear you're part of the family you know but you see he didn't go in and it's left open for that reason how many people don't go in when they ought to and for us this is the message of salvation for all believe on the lord jesus christ and we will be saved Amen.